Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday, Erev Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. By the way, I, um, well, you know what, we'll wait till you get back, till we start praising some of the people that uh, I'd like to praise in Israel. We'll wait till your trip is over for that. Um, so uh, here we are on this uh, Friday morning, and everyone seems to be closely watching the election campaign in Israel. Am I right that when you're there, it's easier to get caught up in what's happening between all the candidates during this campaign? No. <laughs> you're, able to, you're able to ignore it? <laughs> uh, do I wish to elaborate on that? Uh, actually, uh, of course, it is the subject of discussion, and because the primaries that were held this week uh, and uh, all the analysis that shows uh, Hatznua and Kulanu and Gesher failing to enter the next Knesset, and the, of course, the the Labor Party inclu- is, seems to be in crisis mode, and talking about everybody's talking about different kinds of merger po- possibilities, and the. Um, um, the latest polls show we could with 32, and Gantz, I think, with 23, uh, and Kulano with zero. So, it, and, but it's, it will vary a lot. There have been controversies this week about things that uh, Gantz said, and um, I think the list, they got a boost that they could because the list they came out with was considered... Um, uh, moderate or uh, by some, and the, certainly the press uh, picked it up. So it's a um, it's a very fluid situation as always, like in America, and you can have you know a lot of candidates, and the person anticipated is not necessarily the one who wins. Here, I think the bets are on Bibi. A lot depends on the legal processes. Anything, does he get indicted? Does he not? Anything different over the last seven days in that regard? Anything at all in terms of the investigation and indictment? Only that uh, the attorney general said that he will do what the law dictates and not uh, he will not be held back from by the election calendar from announcing any results that he has. People, I think, are increasingly skeptical about um, the process, not about the attorney general, who's a very integrous and wonderful person, but about the, the whole process that some of the charges seem frivolous. I think, you know, because it's played out for so long, people get tired of it. There are a significant number who said they won't vote for a prime minister who is under indictment. But the bottom line is that the expectation is that they will come home. You know, there's a lot of internal fighting in the parties, and that also leads leads to exacerbation of the internal tensions, for instance, between Sire, the prime minister against Sire. uh, But if you look at the lineup, you have uh, very good people uh, for Likud to go to the polls with. A lot depends on what happens with Bennett and the new right party. Uh, so there are so many possibilities, and the key, of course, is who can put together a coalition. If Gantz remains at 23, that could be significant because yeah. he can pull certain parties. And, you know, they have to make a coalition without the Arab parties who don't join the government. Uh, so the religious parties are going to play a very critical role, and uh, they Again. will, and they will consider carefully. Who, pe- people should not think they'll automatically join Likud. They'll consider carefully who to uh, who to join. They, with. Well, look, they they joined the labor-led governments for many years, right. and now, of course, in recent years, they've been in Likud-led governments. 
Um, I mean, I assume, I don't know, I assume you're not watching much television, frankly. You probably have no time for that. But I would assume that campaign commercials and ads and all that stuff, billboards, signs, it's, it's very active around around town, right? Yeah, I haven't seen television ads so much, uh, but again, I don't watch, as you say, but I do drive around a lot between Jerusalem, Tel Aviv meetings in, in, in both cities, and uh, the most prominent one has been these four or five-story high pictures of um, Netanyahu with President Trump, which is a little bit controversial in some circles, but uh, very impactful as you when you drive in, and it says, uh, you know, Netanyahu, a league of his own. Um there are a lot of Cajon pictures, uh, posters in, in many places, but uh, billboards are and, and political posters are growing like mushrooms everywhere, but <laughs> everywhere. Uh, he's very popular in Israel, President Trump, huh? Very popular. He is popular here, and uh, Netanyahu obviously has polling that would verify the association and the idea that, you know, he is the international statesman. He's going to be traveling to Warsaw for the meeting, what uh, was initially anti-Iran, but now, I guess, anti-other things, uh, more global uh, focus. Then he, he's, there were rumors of him going to an Arab country. I, I don't see that before the election, but it's possible. Which, which one would it be? Which one would it be if he would go? The speculation has been about uh, the UAE or Morocco. Wow. Uh, but, but I don't think either of those are going to take place. It's not impossible that he would meet one of them in Warsaw, meet a leader of one of these countries in, in Warsaw during the international conference. He'll also be in Washington for the APAC conference, probably. I think he's not going to the Munich conference, but that was announced uh, that he was going to this, on um, security. And he is also, there's talk of him visiting India. What's the PA... But, what is the PA? And then a lot of people are coming here. They're the heads of four countries, Hungary, Poland, Lithuania, et cetera, are coming to um, visit Israel. Members of Congress are coming. Where's the Putin-Netanyahu meeting going to be? Uh, well, it's usually in Moscow, unless, unless you know, he ties it to the trip to, to Russia, to uh, Warsaw, where he participates as the foreign minister, not as the prime minister. So Putin is not likely to be there. Most likely, Lavrov will be there, but he's already in the neighborhood, so he could drop in for tea in, in Russia. <laughs> uh, your takeaway from the State of the Union, anything noteworthy? Well, I think that the statements about anti-Semitism, the presence of a survivor, uh, I thought were very powerful messages um, and reiterated support for Israel. So, I mean, as far as the agenda we look for, those messages were there. And very strong. Um, what do you think of the appointment of Elon Carr as an anti-Semitism envoy? Well, the anti-Semitism envoy deals with anti-Semitism abroad, not in the United States. That's done through the Department of Education. And there are a number of uh, people who deal with this area. Elon Carr was the president of AEPI. He was a member of the Conference of Presidents in that capacity. AEPI is the national fraternity with legitimately thousands, tens of thousands of members and alumni who are the leaders on the campuses who are who do a great job. And he was the um, equivalent of the president and is very active in Jewish affairs. He lives in Los Angeles. He's a, an excellent choice. You know, you're speaking to us from Jerusalem right now. Have you seen the statistics of tourism for early 2019 and how they compared to other years in recent past? It's amazing how those numbers are jumping. 
I have met with people, but but who are interesmen, and they all say that it uh, that the biggest problem is a shortage of hotel rooms. That's unbelievable. And, and in January, yet incredible. It's incredible that it increases, and for people who haven't been here, every day it's a new country, the new discoveries at the city of David, the Minerota Hotel, to see the. I saw yesterday something that is not open to the public yet, but a Byzantine church that's more than 1,500 years old that's dunked below the gardens of Jerusalem, and it's a huge cavernous arched um, facility uh, built in the Byzantine period. I mean, just every day stuff being uncovered that is is just amazing, and and uh, people who, as I, as you know, I, I get very emotional about the idea that the discoveries are the greatest gift this generation can get because it's just it's God's way of showing us our connection when the UN and all those others, UNESCO, et cetera, are trying to deny it. We have the concrete proof. So Yerushalayim is is booming. The weather is gorgeous. I don't know why people go to Miami when it costs very little bit more to come here and you have nicer hotels, great facilities. Who has more kosher food, Jerusalem or Miami? <laughs> Well, that's more better no restaurants. Doubt about the answer to that. <laughs> and better. Because some have called Miami the uh, capital of uh, kosher restaurants in America, but you would say it doesn't compare to Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, huh? Hundreds of restaurants here. I mean, By the way, the number is 35%. 35% increase from January 2017 to January 2019, which is pretty amazing in terms of tourism numbers. Uh, and by the way, speak. Oh, oh, and that was my question earlier, which I skipped over. When the PA sees Israel reaching out, you, 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 or, or other countries reaching out to Israel. You mentioned Morocco, uh, possible of the UAE, etc. in terms, if in theory he would go visit somewhere, uh, you know, an Arab state before the election. Do they care? Like, does, does it matter to them that it seems that, you know, that the possible relationship with Israel, a positive relationship with Israel is just passing them by, or because of the, the issue, frankly, of the, uh, uh, of a Palestinian state, etc. they couldn't care less who, who is, in fact, becoming closer and closer to the Israelis. They care very much about it, and they feel that um, he is, uh, Abbas and others, certainly uh, rail about it and against it, criticize uh, Arab countries, because uh, they feel that they're being abandoned, and the answer is they are, because the people are sick and tired, and this is I've heard from Arab leaders uh, constantly, even recently, they're just sick and tired of the money they being given have given them is being wasted and taken by the officials and uh, Abbas, like Arafat, you know, it's a kleptocracy that they run. It's not they they stay in power forever. They um, have rejected every initiative, and it may change. It may be that the PA will start warming or recognizing that their relationship with the United States is going to be contingent on how they respond to whatever peace plan or is put forward, obviously everybody will criticize it because there'll be things there that they don't like. But till now, he has refused to acknowledge it, to discuss, to talk to American officials. Uh, and they, when they see that Israel uh, has improving relations with the, uh, the Arab countries, they uh, feel very much that they are being sidelined. And the answer is they are by virtue of their own deeds and misdeeds in the um, and the the recognition by many Arab countries that Israel is the most reliable ally. It's an essential ally against Iran, and that Israel is the front line of that battle. And when the you know troop withdrawal or things like that come up, it only underscores more that uh, that they need 
and want to be close to Israel. And not to sound too Pollyannish, but could you imagine if there was now a real peaceful relationship? Do you know what kind of benefits the PA would be getting and the types of things? And the Palestinian people. I don't want the PA to benefit. I want the people. I meant the, And, the, and right. I think that should be. I know. I, I'm right. not. Uh, I'm saying that, you know, too often we talk about just the focus on the leadership right. when it's the people who really, and that's why I think the approach, I hope that in the peace process proposals that come forward will be staged and will start with developing projects on the ground that improve people's lives. I mean, this has been tried by Israel, urged by Israel. Israel has invested in this in the past. You know, the QIZ zones and other stuff, which only got destroyed. And we know what happened in Gaza with the greenhouses, et cetera. Because we know that when people have a vested interest, when they can feed their families, when they, you know, are making a living, they have a vested interest in stability. It's not, it's still true that you have the ideological radicals who will, no matter what, try to sabotage whatever uh, takes place. But, um, but the people overall, I mean, they want to feed their families, and they want to live a life, and that is being denied them. Yeah, and be able to travel freely. And get By to, their leadership. Right, and get to work and you know, without any problem, and, and have a, a normal employer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and com on the NachumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. I thank everybody for tuning in. Reminder, Shlomo Katz in studio this coming Monday morning here at JMA. Make sure to be tuned in. We will Facebook Live that appearance. Uh, Malcolm, what do we learn from the life of Rabbi Yechiel Eckstein? Well, it was obviously a tragedy that he died at a young age and timely death. And um, we've extended condolences to his family. He, uh, I've known him for many, many years since he was a young man and before he even started his uh, current, uh, the good organization that he's been running, um, uh, the International Fellowship, he um, he raised a lot of money for, for Israel, uh, focusing on poor Jews. There were people who didn't like some of his ads, but everybody has to acknowledge that the difference that it made, he supported the Jewish institutions and organizations that benefit uh, poor Jews, and he built ties to people in the in the Christian communities, especially in the United States, but also elsewhere. And uh, as you see from the tributes to him, um, he will be he will be missed. Malcolm, a word, and, and, and I think you've had a big effect on many, including myself, on this issue over the years. Uh, you know, from my background, uh, I wasn't always uh, uh, in in an environment that was um, uh, that was um, a positive about Jewish. Uh, Christian relations, especially vis-a-vis Israel. Could you just remind the audience, remind all of us, uh, how critical it is to keep that um, communication line between Christian evangelical leadership and Jewish leadership open, and just how helpful they as a community can be to uh, to Israel, both uh, in Washington and around the world? Well, it's not only how uh, critical they can be, it's critical how how much they have done and are doing. Uh, again, it, it's not a blank brush. There are organizations, uh, Christian organizations, that missionize, that still look to converting Jews, and it's not because they should change their beliefs. Uh, everybody's free to believe what they want, but you can't engage in deception like Jews for Jesus did, other groups did, and targeting Jews exclusively uh, as some of these broadcasts. But when you take in contrast somebody like Pastor Hagee, who has 
chapters of his Kufai on 400 campuses, who brings 5,000 people to Washington every July in the most pro-Israel gathering, parallel to AIPAC, I would say, but for, for largely for, for non-Jews. Uh, and a delegation of, of actually Orthodox Jews and others come to it because it, it's so inspiring. And one year it coincided with Tisha B'Av, and they had a, 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 a session with Kinos and Echa for, for the Jewish participants. Wow. Uh, but, you know, it, it, so it's not a question of a blank check for those who criticize, but we have to acknowledge that they are a political force. They are a powerful force in America and around the world, in Latin America. When you see embassies being moved by Latin American countries, it's because largely of the pressure of the evangelicals. It is the relationship with Israel. I think we all play a role, but we acknowledge that the major contribution by uh, these Christian groups and evangelicals are largest fastest growing group in South America, perhaps a third of, of all the people are and identify with uh, evangelical Christianity. And you, when you compare this with the fact that Iran is trying to extend its influence, Turkey is building its presence, trying to Islamicize populations, trying to convert people uh, to Shiism or to, to Sunni Islam, but Iran, of course, to Shiism. And uh, we've seen what they've done in Europe and now in South America and in, in Africa. And the counter voice often in those places are the evangelical churches. The In, in Brazil, it's an amazing demonstration when Netanyahu came because of a large evangelical population. So the work we have done, and I, as you know, I took a lot of criticism initially when I began this uh, the outreach and the working together. Uh, with them, but I also was the one who led the fights against Jews, Jews for Jesus, and some of their leaders actually have have can, have changed and rejected what they did and have apologized for those activities um, uh, in the past. So it is uh, it, it is like our outreach to many groups that we need to have coalitions, but with them, you know, there are many areas of common belief and. Uh, practice, et cetera, that uh, helps foster the connection. Great review. A lot of people, I'm sure, did not know some of the details you just mentioned. Great review. Reading from um, uh, the JTA piece that you guys uh, printed in the Daily Alert, the U.S. Senate Tuesday approved by a 77 to 23 voted bill that codifies $38 billion in defense assistance to Israel, which provides legal cover to states that target the boycott Israel movement among the Democratic dissenters to the bill, sponsored by Senators Marco Rubio and Joe Manchin, were declared presidential candidates Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. Non-declared presidential contenders who voted against included Bernie Sanders and Sherrod Brown. Um, I, I'm having a little trouble understanding this, like how, how big of a deal this is if someone didn't vote for it. Normally a vote like this, especially one that uh, is painted as a Israel support bill, would get a much higher percentage in the Senate. Am I right about that? Absolutely, and I think it's disgraceful that many of the people who have walked away from previous commitments, and especially when they represent large Jewish constituencies, um, the excuses on fighting the BDS or not supporting BDS, uh, I think, are not legitimate. It's not a question of free speech. And we see that over, overwhelmingly the American people um, um, oppose boycotts of Israel, 41 percent uh, oppose it, and uh, only 20 percent of likely voters favor it. So it's not a politically wise thing, but it tells you the direction and, and the influences that are, are at play right now. Uh, and with 
Nobody can doubt what the challenges are to Israel and why the aid from the United States is so important, why fighting BDS at a time when anti-Semitism is rocketing. We saw the reports from Great Britain this week about a 16% increase again uh, to almost 1,700, uh, as I recall, incidents. Um, it's more than 100 a month, and so it's it's a, the growing incidents are true in America as well. Uh, the fact that the Senate passed by 77 to 23, uh, the BDS uh, measure shows that this is, which includes the $38 billion in defense assistance, uh, shows that the overwhelming support is not because these others have a better answer or, or some moral uh, platform on which they're standing. It's political, and I think it's, uh, it's uh, very regrettable. It has no impact on the rights of individuals to boycott Israel or to oppose Israeli policies. It doesn't limit their freedom of speech. And I think you should see what Marco Rubio wrote in the Times about the nature, the truth about the BDS and the lies about the bill that he, this bill that he um, uh, sponsored. So it's, uh, you know, it's regrettable. I don't think it represents where most Democratic voters are and hopefully will be, and means we have to do a better job of education. And we have to hold to account those who who uh, don't support what are vital uh, initiatives like this. I mentioned uh, Cory Booker. I, I actually was criticized last week for not asking you about uh, uh, Cory Booker tossing his hat into the ring. I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything you could share with us in terms of the current uh, presidential candidates, who you know, some from this area who've already declared. I mean, any, anything you want to share with us? Or <laughs> I know you're not endorsing anybody, <laughs> but... But but some of them have a good record when it comes to Israel, and others have a questionable record when it comes to Israel. Would well, that be a good? I think you have such a slew of candidates, so many people declared, undeclared. Uh, people should let things settle down. Again, I hold. I think on substance, we should be uh, holding them to account, demanding that they answer questions when they appear at fora. Uh, wherever, whether in Iowa or New York or New Jersey or either the home states or their traveling states, they should be held to account uh, and and question on these on these vital interests. They all profess to be pro-Israel, but unfortunately, the definitions uh, stretch that to points of incredulity. And uh, I, I don't. And you know, w- w- we see so many issues with the uh, the, the Iranians. Then you know had a, another space launch. And yet none of them will discuss the vote that they took on, on Iran to show that they're actually violating the JCPOA, that the um, the, operation, the Russian S-300 now becoming operational in Syria, uh, according to, think, uh, to some of the satellite photos. These are all vital, vital challenges. And yet we see people focusing on, on narrow arguments, which are distorted, and rather than looking at the big picture and what America's obligation, what America's interests are in all of these things. Letting the, uh, the expansion of the boycott is not in America's interest, not in Israel's interest, not in the interest of the Palestinians who paid a price for this uh, largely. And the uh, and the so far the explanations that we've heard uh, from certain senators or members of Congress or others just don't hold any water. They're just not valid. And the the um, you know we have to show that the Jewish voters will be active and and hold to account. But again, not to jump the gun, you know, this, the, the, the list will sort itself out over time. And especially by the time they get to Iowa, I think in a year, 
uh, we'll see how many of these candidates are still there. It's a year till Iowa? Oh, my God. I think so. Wow. Ten months, but a long time. I don't even know. I mean, this is something that you could actually, you know, schmooze with us about at some point. I don't even know if a really, really early presidential candidate announcement has ever been beneficial. Like, I'd have to think if somebody who does announce two years before the election has ever had a positive, you know, strong run to the finish line. I don't even know. I'd have well, to... one of the things that happens is that whoever is the front runner, then the media goes after them, so they keep right. knocking them down. Uh, so they're no longer the front runners, and somebody else pops up as a front runner, and they they become the target. Right. Uh, so you know, I think right now this is it's a it's a question of people getting the the recognition, getting the media coverage, putting their names out, having cover for setting up exploratorial committees, or actually announcing their candidacies, you know, the mayor of South Bend and others who may be wonderful people, but it's a little strange to see, you know, this whole range of, of candidates emerging at this at this point. Yeah, a lot of we'll different, see what happens. A lot of different resumes. Maybe they're positioning themselves to be vice presidents, to be secretaries of state by getting their name, getting a vote, getting national prominence. Right, and as, uh, and as some um, skeptical and some might claim non-skeptical uh, uh, observers have said, uh, once you do throw your hat into the ring, uh, your speaker's fee goes way up. So it could be that they're just trying to get a little bit more prominence and have more of a voice out there and uh, then benefit from it in the long run. Not to be cynical, of course, but that's what some people do. Not, of course. Do point out. On the God, subject God of, forbid. On the subject of American politics, I just don't get it. The, the whole the Maloney-Nadler thing this week, all of a sudden, and especially in this, in this um, environment, all of a sudden they're calling for the Golan to actually be annexed uh, by Israel, or is there some other variation to this whole thing is that what they're calling for well this uh well they have they have said that it's something that should be considered um uh, they didn't i don't think they put in a legislative initiative there was a resolution introduced in the congress about it to recognize uh, israel because the u.n voted overwhelmingly that israel should abandon the golan and right. think about this in the context of the war in syria now yep and you know what what it would have meant if Israel had returned the Golan to Syria, you know now all of northern Israel would be under fire and and you'd have Iranians and the militia and Hezbollah all over it, and Israel's now has to fight to keep them away, even under these circumstances uh, and then the ge- geopolitical situation people we've discussed this many times so the Israel has put forward this idea of uh, Netanyahu has suggested it that they annex the Golan to put an end to, to the dispute because they're not giving it back. This, and there's no negotiations, no possibility of negotiations for the foreseeable future uh, where the Golan could be returned. There are Syrian troops. They do have a significant place there, part there. There's an understanding that the with reach with the Russians and the U.S. that Iran will stay, I think, 50 kilometers away from the border, but we know it's being violated and as I said, I cited some of the other violations, the movement of weapons. The, um, I saw that the Iranians uh, moved, um, uh, you know, that the um, uh, they've moved the operational centers out of Damascus because they've been hit. But the, um, uh, you know, with the presence of the S-300, if it becomes operational, become difficult. That's why Bibi's meeting with Putin will be very important to, um, you know, to draw the red lines and make sure and assure what Israel has demanded, that they need operational freedom to be able to act against the shipments of weapons to um, that, that Iran is sending both to Syria and to uh, Lebanon. 
and the IRGC is moving its weapons supply center from the international airport to the uh, Syrian T4 air base, uh, which is near Palmyra, uh, because of the attacks against the, uh, their sites and their storage facilities and weapon um, missile facilities uh, stored at the Damascus airport. So the, Israel's hits are taking a, a toll, but we know that they're they're doing more to to transfer weapons and the guidance systems to Hezbollah and to build up. They want to get a hundred thousand of their militia in there. I can't believe that Assad is going to be comfortable. I don't think the Russians are really going to want this. Russia hit uh, certain storage facilities and sites uh, in the last days. People should watch that carefully. Where uh, Russia's hits have taken place. Why is Iran so bad at these uh, satellite launches? Uh, well, it takes, you know, you need a few misses before you get a hit. And I think that, um, you know, the, the last one, the launch may have been okay, but something went wrong during the flight. And this is the second. Uh, and we know that there have been more. So I'm not sure that they, they're they not just trying to rush something in order to make the point that they can, and they keep advertising that they have the ballistic missile capacity. But every time one of these fails, and I assume it's not sabotage, but a failure of the um, of the mechanics itself, of the missiles themselves, not external uh, forces uh, sabotaging it, that, the, um, that they have a lot of work to do. And they should be devoting that money to the needs of the people, to providing water and food and other things, which are in in many places in short supply, rather than what they're doing in in terms of expanding their military capacity, uh, both in uh, Syria and in the whole region. And you still hear from the leaders of the people there, right? You're still getting messages and from the people in Iran, right? From people, not the leadership. I mean, obviously the the counter leadership, right? But yes, and they. You know, there are demonstrations going on all the time and almost no uh, recognition and no reporting uh, uh, of it. And and you know that the Russians and like the Iranians are hiding their real losses, you know, in, in Iran. Uh, one of the reasons why Israel, I think, went public with uh, um, the, the statistics about the raids that took place by the IDF in Iran is so that the people in Iran will know about it and that the message would be very clear that perhaps even the leadership hasn't been told the truth by Soleimani and the RGC about how much they've lost and what toll they, they, is being taken uh, on this. And, you know, the United States have been pressing the new Lebanese government not to support Hezbollah, but clearly Hezbollah and Hezbollah is sort of uh, backing off from saying they control it. They say, no, you know, we, we're just ministers or minister of health. When in fact we know that they play a dominant role, but they're they're scared of the consequences uh, from Israel because they are uh, integral parts of the government of Lebanon. Hmm. Uh, any takeaway from the Pope's visit to the Gulf? Um, they had a nice yarmulke. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, you know it's a very important statement because it's the first time, and all these things break down barriers. And part of what has happened recently, as you know, is a growing recognition, articles, uh, public discourse about Jews and ties to Jews, and the fact that you have Jews present in various Muslim countries at these uh, at the events, even when they are, um, um, you know, um, uh, fundamentally, you know, World Muslim League or others. And when the head of the World Muslim League 
former minister of justice, sort of writes the kind of articles that he did in the Washington Post and Time magazine, when you see a, a number of manifestations. It's not that there's a radical change yet amongst the populations, but you know the message has to permeate down. But if it starts at the top, you have a chance then that it will, um, uh, you know, uh, influence general public opinion and knowing that it's acceptable uh, to two people is very important. Did you see that the population of Udon Shamron is about to hit half a million? Yes, I did. That's quite a remarkable growth. And it's remarkable growth. Having and I, a lot of babies. And I guess with, uh, you know, with the, with the, the right patience and time, uh, you know, certain things may be, uh, may be decided in terms of facts on the ground and they won't have to be negotiated. Uh, which I know would make a lot of people very happy. Others probably not so happy, but you get my point. And a Haifa court finally has said that uh, the flotilla boats are able to be seized by Israel. I, can't even be- I cannot even believe that this was an issue that went to court. Well, Israel is a country of law and order, and you have to, you know, you go to the courts, people go to courts and government. Uh, issues regularly end up in the courts that would not necessarily be true in America. So the... Um, yeah, that this issue went there, and the ruling is pretty clear. Uh, so we have to um, we have to make sure that people understand what is the story behind these things. You know, well, one of the points I made in an interview this week is that Americans and and Jews around the world and non-Jews have to be educated. The things that people take for granted, the withdrawal of the TIPH forces from Hebron and people saying, well, they're abandoning, they're not abandoning. This group has done nothing but be destructive and counterproductive from its very start. Uh, When we read that, um, uh, you know, about the dangers that are are growing around Israel, while Israel is strong and uh, very capable of, of dealing with things, we have to, they have to be realistic about the challenges. And a thing that is so marginal, like the um, what do you call it, the flotillas, but also BDS. But BDS now, there was a, the reports that came out, something we have discussed, which ties them to the Palestinian terrorist organizations, that the BDS committee is made up of people from the NGOs that are tied to terrorism and support for terrorism. So anybody who has doubts about what is the real significance, that it's not an economic issue, as we have long said, but it's... Um, you know, it's it's much more fundamental. It is about security, and the you know that those who who bought into the argument, you see how the EU all of a sudden is gravely concerned by Iran's ballistic missile activity. Why? Because they bought the lies all along, and they they see that Iran, while they're trying to argue how they want to bypass the sanctions and put the SBV you know for for trade, which is not going to work, um, in place, the, the Iranians are are proudly and proclaiming that they're developing the missiles, etc. So people have to understand that, that what might appear trivial may not be at all, that it has much broader significance. 100%. All right, uh, enjoy Jerusalem. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we will speak Bezrat Hashem next week. God willing, I hope I'll be back. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, for, uh, 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 joins us. Fridays, 7.40 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM.